This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships? by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com slash sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here in, in association with my good friends at Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry. I bring you a podcast that hopefully helps you get better at the craft of preaching and teaching and communicating while always ensuring that your character leads the way. Well, I, I, I often will kind of have the chance to interview some amazing, amazing preachers and communicators and then sometimes it's it's authors. I, I'll read a book or um, I'll talk with a, a therapist and I'll be like, man, you, you what you just shared, we have to share with the Crafting Character fam and community. But if you're like me, what has been happening in the Middle East has just, um, it's just gut-wrenching. It's, it's heartbreaking. And oftentimes I know when there's a moment that something is happening in the world world. I want to say something, but I often don't know how to say and how to talk about it. And then I watch a bunch of people on Instagram or unfortunately, even in churches talk about something, but they do it in a way that doesn't feel healthy and honest to the entire conversation. And so this is what we're going to do today. So we're going to try and really learn about what's actually happening in the Middle East from a dear friend, uh, someone that I, I absolutely love, respect. Um, he's, he is a, a thought leader when it comes to what has been happening in the Middle East, especially with Israel and Palestine and, and in Gaza. Uh, his name is John Huckins, and he leads an organization called Journey Home. He's an author of three books. Um, he's actually the one, if you've been following along over the years, you know that last year I went on the Camino, hiked it. Um, it was with John. And John uh, um, is an adjunct professor of New Testament at Point Loma University. Just an incredible, incredible guy. And so we're going to chop about this and then um, we're going to talk about, okay, then how, when you know this and learn about it, how do you actually bring this to a stage on a Sunday morning and to help your people be informed well and know how to pray well and get involved well, um, as well as talking a little bit more about the importance of pilgrimage. So without further ado, the one, the only, my dear friend, mm. John Huckins, welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast, my friend. Yeah, man. Good to be with you, Steve-O. Always a treat. Yes. Um, all right. So let's let's just jump in. How how did you get involved with the Middle East? Because you've been doing some stuff there for, I mean, gosh, it has to be a decade plus. But how did how did you get involved? Yeah, actually, it was um finishing up my seminary, my master's at Fuller, and had the opportunity to go to study the historical context of Jesus in the Holy Land, which like kind of academic nerd in many ways. So it was dream set up pre us having the four kids we have now. My wife and I went together and uh, long story short, we went to study the historical context of Jesus and the towns and the stones and what interrupted our learning, um, but actually accelerated it in regards to what the way of Jesus looks like was bumping into the people on the ground. And 
to in, in being invited into a geo, geopolitical situation that we were very naive towards, quite honestly. And in our very elementary understanding, we began to meet Jews, Christians, Muslims, Palestinians, Israelis that were committed to walking the way of peace in the midst of violence and conflict. And it started to break open paradigms and theologies. I mean, I'll never forget standing on the rooftop of our hotel in the old city of Jerusalem in the Christian quarter, which you've been there as well, overlooking Herod's palace, my brain full of biblical knowledge and data and archaeology. And this gentleman who I had met who served our meals each day, and we began to strike up a conversation, asked me to hang out one evening. And I say, sure. So we're overlooking Herod's palace talking about like the World Cup was that year. We're talking about having kids soon. His wife was also pregnant. My wife was six months six months along with our first. And he turns to me somberly and and with a slower cadence than he had been. And he said, John, why do your people think I'm a terrorist? He said, I live just over there. He points across the separation wall into the town of Bethany, which is the town where Lazarus is raised from the dead, ironically, a place of resurrection. And he says, I follow Jesus just like I do. How can, you, how can you pray for your meals every morning and go look at all these holy sites in Bethlehem and Jericho and Galilee and, and, and be completely blind to the plight of your brothers and sisters in Christ? And that was the moment for me, I think one of many conversions where I had to begin to interrogate the theology I inherited as a Western Christian pastor. Um, and I had to ask some hard questions around why is it that I've never inherited any kind of theology or practice for peace? Because right now my brother is saying I'm actually more, uh, I'm perpetuating his oppression rather than contributing as an instrument of peace in his reality. And that doesn't align with the gospel. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was what, what jumped us into it. And then he just became, him and his wife became a mentor. We discovered that he worked at the hotel we were staying at because they were trying to make enough money to run a nonprofit that taught reconciliation among the next generation of Palestinian kids in Bethany. And um, began to bring groups over there 13 years ago, and it led to the organization I co-founded uh, at the time, Global Immersion. Now, the you have this moment, and you end up getting on a plane and coming home, um, mm-hmm. and peacemaking becomes like almost this central formation practice of discipleship for you. Yep. Talk talk about that because again, when when you when you go through a peacemaking um, journey, and you and I, you know, have a, a very massive respect and love for John Paul Lederach, and mm-hmm. you know, had the privilege to, to spend time with him. He's a, he's a professor at Notre Dame, but like just a, a guru on on uh, peacemaking. But as you go through that practice, man, you, you start to realize um, you're your understanding of reconcil- reconciliation, yeah. holding multiple stories at once. Yep. That's not what we were trained no. and taught to do. So talk a, a little bit about that. Like, because in you, you, you even write about this um, in divide the men's mending the divide, Men, sorry, mending divide, the divides. Yep. You talk about this with the good Samaritan story. And it was mm-hmm. so just so beautiful about how to do this, but talk about the difficulty um, mm-hmm. with it and, and where the breakthrough began to happen for you. Yeah. I mean, the difficulty was there was, um, there were so many obstacles that I had inherited subconsciously to me, even taking peace seriously, quite honestly, like I grew up, uh, in a very conservative Christian 
home that had a certain theology and politic. And that very much informed our understanding of Israel and how that was paired synonymously with biblical Israel. So in that context, it was already muddy. So there was a series of obstacles I had to jump to take peacemaking seriously. Theology, I like many of us, I inherited a dispensationalism. Things have to get worse before Christ is going to return. So peace is actually antithetical to the mission of God. That's a big problem. Culturally, it was stigmatized as kind of this fairy tale unicorn 1960s thing. Good luck with that. That's not going to. That's not going to actually do anything to change society. Um, and then it just wasn't practiced very much. Like it was in the churches that I, I was part of and saw and, and experienced around me, like a theology and practice for peace or peacemaking wasn't fleshed out. So there was just an absence of it. Um, what I knew was on experiential level, and this is the power of pilgrimage or proximity is that what was happening, the status quo was, was not the way of Jesus. So if the way of Jesus is not what I experienced there, um, but what I experienced when I walked with Malad Minar as they walked down their village and all the kids run out of their homes and grab their legs because they are seen as beacons of trust in the midst of a very polarized neighborhood, Muslim and Christian. And they're bridge builders. They're like the gospel turns to 3D. I'm like, oh, there's something there. So, so then the opportunity became, how do I, how do I learn that? How do I study that? People like John Paul Lederach and his idea of conflict transformation. Like maybe conflict isn't a problem to fix. It's an opportunity for healing. And, and if you look at it that way, that's like, that's right. That's the story of God in the Bible. It's, it's a story of restoration. God's mission is to restore what's been broken. So how am I participating in that and being changed along the way? And so then it just, you know, when it begins to infect, uh, I, had the, I had great mentors. Dr. Glenn Stassen was my mentor um, in just peacemaking at Fuller. Uh, and now my, my PhD advisor is, uh, David Gushy, who studied in the way of stats. And so it's just like, I'm discovering a faith beyond so much of the deficiencies and it's, it's enlivening, but it's also very challenging, very costly and very countercultural still to most American evangelicalism. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really, really good because, you know, even like the word reconciliation, you know, we are ministers of reconciliation from Corinthians, Paul writes. And always for me, it was always evangelistic. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. trying to reconcile you back God. You bet. Then, then as you're, you begin to recognize, oh, racial reconciliation, or you begin to, yeah. to, to actually walk in the West Bank or be near Gaza or, or walk with, um, in Tel Aviv and, and you begin to hear the stories, you, you, you start to recognize like, oh my goodness, I'll never forget this secular Zionist, um, in mm. Israel was just saying, Steve, um, the immigration of Christians out of the, out of the Middle East, like it's yeah. not good. Like they're, they're a glue to help peace and shalom actually be embodied and happen. And I had never thought to myself, like, oh my goodness, like, wow, like our ability to walk this out is actually, that's the bridge building. Like yeah. to be able to do that. And, and oftentimes in conflict for many of us in the West, it's, you know, we're either going to power up or we're going to run away. Mm-hmm. And I recognize in so much of my life, I run away from conflict mm-hmm. um, or I power up and here just beginning to see, and you've been such a, a brother for me in this as, as others have been, um, is this, there's another, there's a third way. Yeah. There's a way to walk this out. Yeah. Let's, let's like, let's just get really, really practical. Cause I think one of the ways it's tricky too, is when it comes to 
to Israel, I think there's a lot of a lot of people who are afraid of, oh, if I say something bad, yeah. Yeah. will I be considered, you know, anti-Semitic? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, how do I differentiate between what's happening in Gaza and what's happening in the West Bank? How is the U.S. involved in all of this? Mm-hmm. How, like, there's just the the geopolitical, as you said, the contextual. It matters. Yep. So, kind of talk about how you make sense of all of this, if you don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any of us have made sense of it, but we yeah. can have some tools for how to think about it. Right. The first thing, honestly, and I say this for myself, but I would ask all of us listening. Um, I think in these moments we do often get triggered and we, we bump into the fight or flight. Like I'm going to go in and just like start socking people around me or I'm like, I'm this too confused and I'm checked out. I think what we first need to do is to rather than default to our inherited ideology, which just kind of pits us against each other is to slow down and get as proximate as we can as fellow humans. Like we have to lament the ancient practice, spiritual practice of lament. We need to walk to, to cry and weep and feel whatever we can, uh, the human tragedy that's unfolding right now and beyond any ideology on a human level. And we can call it a Christian call or conviction as well. Um, we need to understand the trauma that lies behind these people groups. I mean, the, the Jewish people obviously historically have been so oppressed and targeted and, some of the smartest thinkers in my mind about that region talk about a collective PTSD they carry. And that of course can inform actions and overreactions um, and maybe underreactions. And then the trauma of the Palestinian people who have been in this land. I mean, the, the community in Gaza is one of the first Christian communities dating back to the first century. There's 1000 of them left there and they have been a beautiful symbol and sign of, of peace in that area. And now, like you said, they're leaving in mass because They've been displaced multiple times, and many of them are already refugees and wondering if they're ever going to make it home. So there's this, we, we need to get close to the pain, the human pain. And as, as we do that, I think it begins to like get our heart a little more proximate to this rather than just our head and the talking points. Um, and then I think if that's our starting point, we can look at the bigger story. Like, what is the story going on here? Why are... Uh, why are they doing what they're doing? Why is Hamas killing seemingly innocent Israelis? Why is Israel continuing to drop bombs, uh, killing majority Palestinian citizens, women and children being also a majority of that population? We have to get, we have to think about this with nuance and we have responsibility as leaders. And especially if you're a preacher or a teacher with that influence, this is not one of those issues we can walk away from because Christians have been marbled, especially evangelicals have been marbled into this conflict from its conception. Um, and, and ultimately, last thing I'll say, Steve, we have to think about the way of Jesus in this. Like the moment right. we're like, yeah, keep nuking them or yeah, they deserve it. Or where's the way of Jesus? If Jesus yes. came to bring life, not death, we have to think about this, at least a ceasefire, stop killing each other. Um, and so we can we can gather enough information to say what's a, 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 a more diplomatic way forward and how are we as the church contributing to that? I think it's really, really powerful because, and you said it earlier, you, you have to start with the theology, right? Mm-hmm. And and that theology, but that theology can't just be in a classroom. That theology has to be yeah. proximate to the pain. And I remember, you know, my first time walking this out um, it was t- 2009, I believe, there. And um, I'll, I'll never just forget, like, 
recognizing that collective PTSD, uh, yeah. the way I th- heard it was this, uh, because of the Holocaust, 6 million yeah. people, just nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody really cared. Nobody, 6 million people did, died. And you, you live with an existential threat that at any moment mm. we have to care for ourselves. No yep. one has our back. You have Iran saying, we're going to decimate you, you know, like you, so, so that collective PTSD is and it's such good language is in yep. the body. Yep. And then on the Palestinian side, I, I remember I had a similar conversation with a waiter when we were leading a conversation and he pulled me aside and he's like, you really care about this? Hmm. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how does it hit you? And he goes, we have a word in Arabic, which means we have no future. That's how we feel yeah. as Palestinians. Yep. Yep. So, so, so now I have a, try to have a conversation and get proximate to the pain where you have a group of people, rightly so, who have collective PTSD. Yep. And then you have a group of people, rightly so, who feel we don't have a future. And yep. then try to go, what's the way of Jesus here? Mm-hmm. And, and I think the closer I got to it and you began to recognize, gosh, there was a lot of unlearning I had to do. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I heard people good. say things like, oh, the Palestinians, you spent time with them. Aren't they the Philistines of the Bible? And I'm like, no, 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 no. But just, but you could see what was ingrained in people's mind to almost think a certain way and how quick it was to default, not to peacemaking and to the way of Jesus, but to a side. And how did you protect yourself from that? Well, and then the other big one too, Steve, I'm glad you mentioned that is so many of us inherited this understanding that the modern nation state called Israel is synonymous with biblical Israel. And so we begin to kind of cloak our Old Testament theology on this modern nation state and give it unreserved support. When in reality, like the people of Israel is, is a collective of, of human beings. It's not, it was never intended to talk about it as a, as a nation state. And so we can give, we can, we can theologize our way to give permission to the, the modern nation state called Israel in ways that are antithetical to the Jesus we follow. And so those are some, some things we have to unlearn, as you said, on a theological level. Uh, Something I found that I struggled with when I first started dabbling on this issue is you begin to think, you know, everything right away. Like, Oh, I'm finally awake to it. And I, and I come back overly activistic, not that the activists have their role, especially prophetic ones, but we can start to call all of ourselves prophets at times because we think we're being so we figured it out. And so everyone needs to hear, which just basically I think is an inflated ego oftentimes, or it's out of a, a guilt that we haven't woken up to this earlier. So one of my struggles was, was checking that and not communicating in an economy of shame, like, Hey, all you bad evangelicals, we've missed the boat on this one. Um, and had some good feedback and had to say, sorry, a lot. And then began to learn the more effective way to communicate and even honor the people in the Holy land is to share stories of my formation, starting with myself. Here's ways that I have had to wake up and confess and repent and live differently and think differently and theologize differently. But through the lens of those that are there, like, I mean, when this, the last two weeks, this has been horrible and it's looked like a lot of texts to our friends there. And, and I even wrote down a bunch of like, if we need to center the people there, we're going to hear, from people like Omar, who lives in Bethany. He, he said, 
uh, really, brother, I was just checking in on him. It, it's difficult. It's definitely a difficult time to be alive here. I still believe in God and he can get us for peace and love. And then he says, I miss, I miss dancing with you, bro, and singing. I'm without a job and have no permission to work. Like he's trying to construct a hope out of a, a memory of when we used to dance in his backyard when we go over there. And, and but he also has no hope for tomorrow. Um, Milad, he's this gentleman who I first met, uh, who invited me into a deeper story. He says, we are still strong in dreaming for free souls and independence. Um, Liel in Israeli, uh, said that he just hopes this is the last cycle of violence they have to endure. And he described that two of his colleagues from his college were kidnapped in the Hamas raid uh, on October 7th. So they're just like, they're holding hope, but they're feeling all the pain. And that's where we have to, I think we have to center ourselves in these moments. So good. You know, one of the, when you're on the West Bank in, um, side, um, and the separation dividing wall, there's a lot of graffiti and, but it's like prophetic, you know, Banksy's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, done some stuff. Um, but one of the, the central kind of messages often is around hope or the lack of hope or, and you'll see things like keys that represent homes from the Palestinian side where they, they hold their key, but they're a settler came and took over their home. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see stuff where, um, like olive trees that have been like now just cut to just stumps. Yep. And we went to Daoud's house and, um, and you drive into this, his property and it says, you know, um, we refuse to be enemies. Mm-hmm. It's just so beautiful. And we took a bunch of people from California and we planted olive trees. Yeah. And I, and and I'll just never forget this. I I looked at Dawood and I said, Dawood, how, when will these olive trees produce olives? He's like, uh, 10 years. I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking 10 years, will you have this land? Yeah. I don't know. Like, are we, and he goes, we have to prepare. We have to have mm-hmm. hope. We have to believe. We have mm-hmm. to keep making beautiful things. And mm-hmm. I just, I, to, to see in the face of that, um, you know, and, and I saw it from the Israeli side of people who maybe had lost a child um, to violence, yeah. um, talking with a Palestinian parent who lost a child to violence, mm-hmm. and they were just begging, there's got to be a different way. Yeah. There's got to be a different way. I think there's oftentimes where people, this like almost myth of redemptive violence mm-hmm. where um, we know that what Jesus says, but it, we don't like those verses yeah. and we think that people have to pay. Yeah. I, and you've, you've, you've walked this um, out with people and you've, you've, you ask such great questions when you find someone who, and for many of us pastors, we know people in our congregation, we feel like we're like dancing around landmines oh, who might oh, have yeah. this, this passion, like they're going to pay and we're going to, you know, you know, 77 times they need to pay, mm-hmm. for, you know, mm-hmm. and we actually think it's okay. Mm-hmm. How do you, what questions do you ask or how do you try to address mm-hmm. that redemptive violence in a more Jesus kingdom kind of way? Yeah. 
I mean, from my perspective, it's the, the first question is, what are you scared of in many ways? What is it you fear? It seems like the most zealous, um, you know, holders of that ideology are, are fearful of something or seeking to protect something, which some of those instincts can be beautiful. Like we're trying to protect our families. We're trying to, to protect what we understand as uh, a nation state that could be under threat, whether it's Israel or the U.S. Um, and then to get curious with that. And because if you walk down that path long enough, you'll realize that that is that is not a path that's actually going to lead to a sustained peace. Uh, and it's certainly not going to lead to a sustained peace in any of us. I mean, when you extinguish the life of another out of our need to defend something, I think that makes us it unmakes us uh, who we are intended to be in some way. It deforms us. Um, and so so I think choosing the we refuse to be enemies path of Dayud is actually forming us or reforming us into the way of Jesus that can actually reflect hope in the hopeless situation. I mean, I even think of like the ways that in our pulpits here in the States, we can talk about, Oh, hope is X, Y, and Z talk about hope in a context like we're describing in West bank or Gaza or Israel. You have to construct that hope because everything around you says there's no reason to be hopeful. So you plant olive trees, or as my friend Menar said, we dance in the kitchen. Like there, there. What are ways we can walk with those people who are, just believe that redemptive violence is the only way? Empathize with the pain that's fueling them, and then invite them into a vision beyond that, and say this is like I actually think Dayud reminds us of this. The, the construct of enemy is a construct we place on people. If we refuse to be enemies, then we actually don't have enemies because we choose not to place that construct on them. They're my brother, they're my sister, they're my co-image bearer. That's going to disrupt our, our redemptive violence paradigms real quick. Yeah, no, that's so good. You know, you've, um, you've been in some of the largest churches. Um, you have, you know, spoken or served um, and you have, um, you know, sat in churches like all across the country. You know, when I was at Willow, you came out and did some stuff yeah. with our, our teams. And when it comes to these moments, how, how do you wish a pastor or a preacher would talk honestly about this? Cause I think sometimes it's a, a we don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's, we, we go to social media and just like a simple, like, you know, pray for Israel which we saw and we forget an, a whole other side. Um, sometimes it's, it's our theology of redemptive violence comes out. Like, how, like what's, what's the, what's the, the, the way at which you go, gosh, like I wish people would be able to in three to five minutes mm -hmm. articulate in this way or take people on a journey this yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing I would hope for, and I would try to practice myself, is to, as Thomas Burton says, to disarm any violence within myself. Um, if I'm going to disarm the ideologies of my congregation, I need to disarm the ideologies in myself such that I'm not just coming off as combative and producing another set of binaries for people to argue about. Like, if we care about the way of Jesus transcending those, then I have to be prepared for that. So I hope every pastor would start there. You know, I watch some pastors that have gone on the the Holy land tours that are constructed to celebrate one narrative and, uh, and, and others on another narrative. Um, I personally bend towards one more than the other. Cause I think it's on the, the side of justice and Jesus, but how we talk to our congregations has to come from a starting point where we're co-learners 
And we're not doing it because we have to win. We're doing it because we think this is the faithful next step. I think another thing I would hope every pastor considers is what is the, one of the best definitions I've ever heard, and I know this word can be triggering, um, heard of the word privilege, is it simply the ability to walk away. Some of us in our suburban churches could be huge, could be a, a, an urban center where the Israel-Palestine issue is not, we have so many other issues to worry about. It's a privilege to walk away from an issue like this um, that our friends that we're describing don't have the ability to walk away from. And so we have to ask ourselves the question as leaders, what does it look like to, to leverage my influence for the sake of justice in this moment, for the way of Jesus in this moment? Um, or where do I need to, to lay down my influence or my privilege, if you will, so I can amplify the voices of those we need to hear from? And then, and then be courageous, because honestly, I, I empathize with those pastors. It's going to lead, <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers, is, is part of uh, our sacred text at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, as is blessed are those who are persecuted. Um, and I think there's a reason they're back to back in some ways, like to be a peacemaker is a disrupting a status quo that's not allowing peace to come about. And you're going to get, you're going to, you're going to get um, in some trouble potentially among those that maybe are, are holding on to an ideological binary stronger than you are. Well, and I think, I think that's so helpful. And I, I think for many of us in our congregation and, you know, even, even for someone like me for many, many years, you know, I, I have that, that, that sense of Peter, you know, like you, you, you know, cut off that soldier's ear, you know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta, <clears throat> I gotta protect, I gotta defend, I gotta, yep. you know, like he, he thinks he's actually doing the right thing. Yeah. He does. And, and Jesus looks at him and it's like, my man, you, you've been with me for a few years. What, what are you, this is not what this kingdom is about. I, yeah. if I wanted to call down power, I could call down power. I have yeah. that yeah. ability. But I'm the guy who rolls in on a donkey. I'm the guy who talks about Pete. I'm the guy who, when I showed up, you know, when I'm show up post-resurrection, I'm going to say, peace be with you twice. I'm, I am this kind of rabbi. I'm different. Mm -hmm. I'm different. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much we love about Jesus until it gets to this form yeah. of discipleship and peacemaking yeah. and the construct to your point of, we refuse to be enemies. Yeah. That's, I mean, like that's the, that's, and here's, here's where I think you have been such a profound and profound is, um, I mean that mm. gift in my life because there's been moments I thought I was going to learn about Israel and Palestine, but it was actually a journey home. Like I, 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 I thought I was like going to follow in the way of St. James, the apostle who brought the gospel to Spain. And I, I was like unmade and remade mm -hmm. and I, on this journey home, mm -hmm. I think one of the ways that we've gotten away from, and we can all have a hot take here or there and yep. Yep but we've lost the sacred art of pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. And I think that pilgrimage often will put us in proximity to pain yeah. and talk about this because you, you started this, this organization that's doing amazing work to really invite leaders on this journey home um, mm -hmm. on the border and also in the Camino. Talk mm -hmm. about that because I, I, I think that 
is so necessary. If pastors are going to be able to like sit well in the yeah. the conflicts, yeah. they got to learn to journey home. You bet. And it was a gift having you on the Camino last year. Oh, bro, what a such a, oh, an amazing moment. Gosh. It, the journey home is, is a metaphor that we are all invited to journey home to our hearts, that we are to journey home to our identity as ones deeply loved. There's nothing to prove. Um, and a lot of our systems and structures, especially for those of us maybe listening that are in pastoral leadership and evangelicalism said, you are what you do. And in, in even around social justice issues, if you read enough books on this issue, if you talk in a certain way, if you get enough in your head, then you're enough or you might qualify. In my observation, being in ministry now for 20 years and the last like 13 focused on, on faith leaders specifically, is that if we're going to actually engage these kinds of issues, like what's going on in Gaza and Israel, we have to begin by engaging the conflicts within ourselves, that we have to be grounded in our identity and, and, and confront the conflicts, disarm the violence within ourselves before we begin to perpetuate it in places of, of societal pain, um, like we're seeing in Gaza, or, or in our marriages, in our congregations, in our leadership teams. This is like when I um, read Jesus in early parts of Luke, before Jesus' formal ministry, he's baptized and God says, you are deeply loved. You're my blessed son, my child. Like before he did anything, he was loved. And it's, that was the core. That was his home. That was, he began his journey home there and then had to live out of that. And then soon passages later, he's like getting chucked uh, off a cliff by his hometown. Like the people he loves most who constructed his identity. And he's able to stay grounded in his understanding of as one deeply loved to be able to continue his ministry in the Galilee and beyond. Like, what would it look like for people like you and I, especially in case here we are two dominant culture men, to confront the wounds in ourselves before they confront and shatter those that we love? How many times do we have to look at the headlines and see another pastor did X, Y, and Z, um, and here's the fallout from it? So, so journey home, yeah, our work is to heal soul and society. What's the healing work we need to do in ourselves, which is why we have the Camino pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago. Who are the elders that have gone before us who model a better way, an integrated second half of life? Um, and they meet with us monthly over the course of six months, which is a gift. And then we walk it out together on the Camino and say, no one cares about my title or my CV or my sermon series. We're collectively moving on a journey of transformation, of healing. Um, and then briefly, on the border, which is where I live in San Diego, Tijuana, we ask the question, what does it look like to be people who engage society in healing ways, create a society where everyone has a home? Because we see the ways that we've our theology and our politics has screwed things up. What's a more redemptive way? How do we get close? How do we get proximate to the people on the underside of power and say, how do we leverage our influence for the, our collective healing? So that's the soul and the society piece of Journey Home. The, the language is so tight and beautiful, like healing soul and society, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, to, you quoted Merton earlier. One of my mm -hmm. favorite kind of phrases that I have taken from him was the contemplative activist, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and my yeah. activism, yep. um, living this out, you, you're going to find yourself in situations like in the Middle East or at the yep. border and going, I can't fix this, which should yeah. bring you back home 
That's right. To this sense of the contemplative of like, Lord, I, I can't do this without you. And the more that you spend time in that soul, the healing soul, it's always going to propel you out to your neighbor, you know, and there's this, this beauty in that. Um, And I think the, the pilgrimage, just the, the, the walking and the Mm -hmm. connecting and the unmaking and the remaking um, in this ancient path and just seeing people from, every walk of life, every, you know, yeah. so many different cultures and having conversations and hearing their experience. And, but talk, a, talk a little bit about the, the, what makes the Camino so special to you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a big part of my own healing journey. That, that's, that's the, the short answer. Um, and really when I discovered that like the primary deficiency for people like leaders like me wasn't more vision or more leadership strategy. It was really a commitment to wholeness. The deficiency in me was like, I, I wasn't given those tools inside the evangelical leadership structure to, to journey home and to live out and minister out of that place. And so in 2019, I was flying to give a weekend retreat for a church and had my first like really loud uh, anxiety attack, panic attack. And, um, it forced me to confront some deeper wounds that I, I had heard about the community of Santiago is like one of three Christian pilgrimages. You got Rome, Jerusalem, you got Santiago, that there's, there's some level of, um, of mystery and paradox that I need to move into and see what it has to teach me. Like, I feel like I've, I've organized my life in a way where I know what's coming. Maybe I need to get in a situation where I'm put on my heels and awaken to the spirit's movement. Uh, and, and childhood stuff for it to come up. Like pilgrimage is, is a, it's not only an embodied form of, of discipleship, if you will. Um, it, it puts you in a place where your hands have to be open because you're not in control. You're just looking for the next yellow arrow. You don't have a map quest out that, that dated me there. Uh, you don't have Google maps out there. Like you take the next step and you see what the path has for you. And, um, I could tell story after story of how I, I was really able to confront some of my deepest wounds to heal and invite others like you and I to say, let's, let's heal together. Cause I think this is the path to healing society and imagine our churches and our congregations and our organizations health. If we can get healthy um, because we all know that women and people of color are asking us to get healthy so that we can stop uh, you know, at, at what does the Lord say? If we don't, process our pain, we'll transmit it. We can do a lot of transmission and the pilgrimage thing. It just kind of works stuff out on you. It's, uh, I I mean, I'd be curious for you, Steve, like you went on the pilgrimage, you experienced it. What, why, why was it loud for you? Um, man, there's so many, so many like moments that pop in my brain. You know, I, I, I think I had a life that had been architected around achievement. You know, that, um, you know, I felt this pressure of you have a spiritual gift of preaching and teaching. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you have leveraged that gift to the full. Yep. So, so bigger is better. Yeah. And yeah. up and to the right. And yep. to be honest, I, I, through God's help and through mentors and a lot, I achieved that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yet I got there and as much as um, it was awesome until it wasn't. And then when it wasn't, it was like, what do, what do I do now? Do I, do I try to find a bigger room? 
Do I try to mm. find a bigger space? Like, and all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, like this whole thing has been built on goodness and Jesus and beauty mm. and grace, but also industrial like machine and up and to the right. And I just was mm. going, there was a cognitive dissonance that was happening within me and I didn't know how to process it. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I was in the kitchen and you texted me and I just picked up, yep. wrote back and I'm like, whatever you're in, I'm in. Like, And and then we started chopping about it. Yep. And I think two, there's probably three just very, very quick bullet points. One is every mm-hmm. person that you meet on the Camino, you just say, Buen Camino, which is yeah. like the good way. It's yeah. a good way. And it's just so awesome. And you're finding these yellow arrows and everybody told me, um, travel lightly. Mm-hmm. And you won't need as much as you think you do. Mm-hmm. And all you had was your backpack. That's and it. you're just like walking. And and I think I need all of this. I think mm-hmm. I need the recognition. I think I need this. I think I need this. It's good. And in the journey home, you just realize like, oh, I just need the belovedness. Yeah. I just I just need the the crew of people in my life who aren't um enamored by mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z, but just uh are enamored by the reality that I'm a child of God, like, and having that safe space just to laugh and cry. And then you told me this and I, and I didn't, I didn't believe it or, or understand it, but you said, when you decide to do the Camino, your Camino has begun. And I'm like, what? You know? And, and all of a sudden it was like, you're opening yourself up to this spiritual pilgrimage. And I will tell you, um, I had significant unforgiveness that was brought to the surface mm. and significant holy moments of like literally naming a couple people who have deeply wounded me and saying, yep. I, I love you. Yes. Yes. And I, it was like, I was even shocked. I said it and I was in, it was actually on my 43rd birthday in that monastery and the spiritual variant yeah it we went we, we they had a little service and we went to the the, mm-hmm. the the cathedral was beautiful and i'm just there and i and i just started weeping and i just was like oh my goodness yeah and your healing soul and healing society you mm-hmm. return from that place mm-hmm. how am i not a better preacher and better Boy. pastor better father, better husband, better disciple. And I'll just, it it was, um, yeah, top three most transformational Mm -hmm. uh, experiences of my life. I mean, just like, um, and it's not like I have a ranking. It's just like, I, 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 it's just, I have three that just were boom, just it for me. Um, And so, yeah, any of you who, who, just know in your soul, you're like, man, I, I think I need something like that. Mm-hmm. Go to journeyhome.info. You, you, can, you can learn a lot about what they're doing on the border, but then also what John and the team are doing with these trips. And the secret sauce is it's just not John. He brings in some incredible, wise voices mm-hmm. and sages and guides. And you have these calls and you chop and connection. And some of their wisdom, I'm like, yeah, it was. I mean, just so redemptive and and oh man, just so so moving. So, um, John, with this though, like when you think about the the pilgrimage, 
and you fast forward like a few years, mm-hmm. like what do you, cause you, you did it in first time in 2019, four mm-hmm. years ago. What have you seen that's happened in you? Mm-hmm. And what do you hope to see happen more in the, the leaders and the pastors that have chosen yeah. to actually endure and persevere and walk out yeah. the Camino? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Parker Palmer who said that the journey to wholeness is not up and out. It's down and in. And that's kind of like what you're saying, the, uh, the up and up and out, like the, the perpetual ladder of ascent. And if that's not wholeness, then it must be something other than wholeness. And, and if we say yes to wholeness, I hope myself at this front of the line and, and you and other leaders can embody this, um, this expansive faith that trusts that God is bigger than any of our systems, whatever pulleys we're trying to turn or, or strings we're trying to bounce up and down or board meetings or buildings or campaigns. Like we want to do that work well, but we don't want to take ourselves so seriously to think we are at the center of that world. That's when things start to break down. And so one of my hopes is like, let's, let's open our hearts um, to the point where we can release control and just be part of the pilgrimage of God's pilgrimage in our world. I hope we can be leaders who are leading with tenderness, um, who can model a kind of, of um, attention to right brain uh, values and emotions and feelings rather than just our kind of our CEO mechanical ecclesial structures that I think have lost their way um, where we can prioritize those relationships and, uh, and not just our, our next, our next vision. I hope that, um, this journey home will allow us to be husbands, um, and partners who are less defensive and more curious. Um, it'll allow us to be able to engage society in a way that says, I know this is true to who I am and I'm going to step forward in this with boldness and confidence. And if I get crap for it, it's okay. I'm still loved just the way as I am. If I lose my position, I'm still loved. If my family disagrees with me and I feel shame about it, God's economy is not shame. His economy is unconditional love. And, and I'm, I can, I, so I can lean into the hard stuff. I can lean into Gaza Israel in a way where my identity is not on the line, um, which is going to allow us to actually contribute to the flourishing of our neighbors on the underside of power in ways that are long-term and, that future uh, keeps me up at night, and and it's a future I'm trying to live into myself and stumble towards. That's that to be honest. So, yeah, friends, I hope you I hope you just heard that, and I I I think some of you who you know have been long time listeners of the podcast, um, but there's something about the the Camino. There's something about just hearing John share those hopes. There's something about that sense of um, seeing all of the heartache and heartbreak in our world, but also recognizing there's heartache and heartbreak within you. Mm-hmm. And we can be so busy and we can climb and preach and lead and drive and strategize our way farther from home. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to really engage the issues of our day well if we can't even confront the pain within. Yeah. 
And I just would encourage you. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't do this every once in a while. I'll say, Hey, go buy this book or, but I'm just saying, and I'll say it again, top three most transforming experiences of my life. And hmm. I think some of you might need a nine or 10 day pilgrimage uh, with a group of people who are going on this journey and um, check out journeyhome.info and it'll be in the show notes. Um, but maybe just, just pray about that and, and just allow yourself just to imagine, man, what if, what if what John was saying could be true in you? And here's the truth. Um, people keep coming up to me now and they're like, Steve, you're such a better preacher. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how to take that. Um, but, but what, but they're pretty bad before, but you're pretty bad. I know. Yeah. I'm up up (laughs) into the right. Uh, but, but I think what they're saying is, um, you can hold the tension. Mm. You can, you can, um, it's coming from a deeper weightier space. Yeah. And I, I, I I think that is because the soul was starting to get healed. And the soul was starting to get well. And again, like you say, once the soul can start to get healed and the soul can start to get well, man, what a gift that can be, be to start bringing healing to the societies around us. Mm -hmm. John Huckins, you are a gift. Um, besides journeyhome.info, where, where else can people find you? Just on the old social media, uh, John Huckins on Instagram or journey home pilgrimages on Instagram. And, uh, journey underscore home, home underscore, underscore pilgrimages. Let's but just say there was apparently a lot of journey homes out there. I, and I I don't, <laughs> but, but put, put that in there, check it out. I mean, there's some awesome stuff that they're cooking up and, um, seriously, you're, you're going to want to follow along. John, thank you so much for joining us on the crafting character podcast. Truly, truly grateful for you, my friend. Much love to you, man. It's a gift. Thank you. Well, before we say goodbye to this episode, I just want to try and bring it home just a little bit more. I, uh, I actually think we have to do a better job of kind of communicating about issues in our world. But sometimes um, many pastors have reached out to me and are like, hey, like, how do you do this? How do you do it in a way that, you know, is honest, it's real, um, you're, you're, you're given some, some clear direction. Um, I know one pastor for many, many years, he, 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 he would never respond right away. He'd always wait a week and just sit and try to learn. Um, for some people that's, that, that's helpful for some people. They're more prophetic and they, they, they want to like tackle it right then and there. I, I would say this, I typically don't manuscript when I preach, I do write out my talks, but when I, when I'm delivering my messages, I, um, I often want to give a conversation to the congregation. That's how, that's kind of like a philosophy for me. My preach is a conversation with the congregation, but there has been a handful of moments in our world where I want to ensure that I get those words right. And so, um, when I was at Willow, there'd be moments where I'd just pull out my script and people knew, they knew there was some significance that this was different. I wanted to get my words right. And I think you have to recognize first and foremost, your three to five minute kind of piece on this isn't going to fix the issue. And so you have to think about what are you trying to do? And in that moment for me is I am trying to help people 
lift their heads above the noise of the news and media and whatever politics or whatever like unhelpful and unhealthy theology is pulling them or driving them or unmaking them. And I want them to see with Jesus eyes, with kingdom eyes. And and when you can have that kind of perspective, just, oh, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Secondly is I want to remind the church of our values, if, if the values that we have to live out the way of Jesus. And, and maybe for some of you, your, your, um, your values or your mission statement, it's, it's a way to, to showcase, Hey, even in difficult issues, this is the kind of people we're trying to be. And then it differs. It differs, but sometimes I am trying to actually attack a narrative that isn't true in the media that you're just seeing. And I don't want that to actually get into the kind of minds and hearts of my congregation. Sometimes I'm just trying to, hey, here's what we have to say and we have to say it and it's wrong and it's evil. And here's sometimes we're moments where we just have to lament and grieve. And then there's other times where it's all of that. And that's kind of what it's honestly felt like for the Israel, Palestine, Gaza kind of storyline. You know, for me personally, um, I didn't share much online. I felt like there was a lot that um, I needed to learn. Um, some organizations like Journey Home or Global Immersion or the Telos uh, group are, are some of my favorites. I've traveled with the Telos group. They are unbelievable. You can learn so much from them. Authors like John Paul Lederach, you can learn so much from them on, on the heart of peacemaking. But I just stood in front of my congregation at Four City Church, and I just shared my experience. I talked about the fish in Stockwell. We have no future. I talked about the existential threat. I talked about um, violence and how what Hamas did uh, I, I, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's evil. It's wrong. Like, and underneath that, you have to ask the question, why, why are people acting in these ways? And that's where it starts to get into the geopolitical. I started to walk through that. And probably in five minutes, I just tried to give a sense of what is actually happening the best that I could in five minutes. And then simply said, we have to learn and we have to be committed to the way of Jesus. And then I prayed. Didn't try to solve anything. Didn't try to act and, and pretend like I knew more than I did. Um, but I tried to really talk honestly about my experience and really begin to pastor people towards that. So um, unfortunately, we live in a world where there's going to be more crisis. There's going to be more pain. There's going to be more situations where there are um, physical and natural disasters, whether um, political or whether just situations that are happening with uprisings or pain or reactions to violence. It, it, this is something that we as pastors have to prepare for, pray that God would give us those words, and then boldly pastor our people towards the way of Jesus. If there's any questions that you ever have, feel free to reach out. My email is steve at steveryancarter.com. I'm grateful for every one of you listening to this podcast. Um, we could not do this without your support, without you sharing and your reviews. Um, it truly means the world.
world. And I hope that as you pastor people through such difficult days, um, that God would give you grace, God would give you peace, and God would give you words that help your people understand what's happening, not with political eyes, not with what some anchor person's trying to teach us or make us believe, but through Jesus, through the kingdom, and through the way that God longs for us to see our brother, our sister, our neighbor. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. Peace.